Amen. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself, and we love our neighbor, man. We love us some Hobby Lobby, all right? And so uh, not just locally, I mean, how cool is it that Sovereign God would take a Walmart and put a church in half of it, and then this God-honoring picture frame business, Hobby Lobby, in the other half, and that our neighbors would be closed on Sunday, because where would you park if uh, we couldn't park over there? And you guys also know that on Mondays when they get to work, all the picture frames on this wall are on the floor, and they had to clean those up and, and, uh, you know, do not complain about it. So we love our neighbors, uh, and we also should be in prayer uh, for Hobby Lobby Corporate because they they have decided they're in a battle right now because they decided to do what's right according to the Word of God, no matter the cost, no matter the circumstances. And so our church is going to be in prayer for them. And we also wanted you to know that church people, which is the new series we're in, church people, doesn't just mean people that work at church, but uh, just like the folks that started Hobby Lobby, it's just all the people that God has redeemed. If you've got your Bible, grab one and go to Acts chapter 11. Uh, the, the scripture is also in your notes, but I'd like for you to grab a Bible, get used to leaping around in there. If you need a Bible, you can take one of ours. We're starting this brand new series called Church People. Part of the reason we called it church people is because in my 13 years of marriage, Gretchen and I sometimes will be out at a restaurant and she'll lean into me real close and say, I see church people. <laughs> and let's just be honest, when you hear the word church people, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have a great connotation, does it? I mean, yeah, you kind of think Ned Flanders. And for much of my, much of my life, I've, I've been, I didn't really want to be church people. And, and especially after I became a Christian, I got saved at a camp. I'm going to tell you all about that next week. And I began to find that, that um, in my pursuit of trying to lead my friends to Christ, the church wasn't even like a partner with me. In fact, it was kind of the other way around, is that time and time again, I would run into the church as really an obstacle for my friends coming to Christ because of church people. And let's just be honest, the church has a PR problem, and we've earned it. The, the denomination that I was ordained in when I was ordained 20 plus years ago, the denomination that I was ordained in, they were in a campaign while I was being ordained. The denomination was in a campaign to boycott Disney of all places to, to go against. I mean, the way they were going to attack the gates of hell was taking out Mickey Mouse, okay? And I began to think, really? That's, that, okay. I mean, that's how you want to roll. And... And, and when you begin to think of church people, if you were to ask the average person that lives in Jacksonville, what do you think when you think of church, and particularly church people, do you think they would say, oh my goodness, those people are filled with grace and love and acceptance and more than anything else, forgiveness? No, no. And so, hey, if you're new to church, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this, um, but the closest that you will ever come to encountering uh, the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ walking around on the earth is supposed to be when you get amongst a bunch of church people gathered in his name. That the church is supposed to be the body of Christ, the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ on this earth. That whenever we gather together in Jesus' name, it's supposed to be the closest that you can get to actually walking and talking with Jesus. And what breaks my heart as a leader of one of these things is that 
the institution or uh, the organization or to use Bible words, the ecclesia or the movement that God instituted to be the primary communicator of the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth is actually often the thing that stands in the way of people meeting God. And so for the next three weeks, we are going to talk about church people. Uh, If you go to Acts 11, we'll begin in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. If you were here during the last series, you remember that Peter, a Jew, uh, meets this guy Cornelius, a Gentile, this divine appointment, and Peter shares the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with Cornelius. Cornelius receives Christ as his Lord and Savior. He surrenders his life to him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's over there speaking in tongues. And now church people do what church people do best. Now the word's getting back to church people. And what church people love to do is they like to get together and vote on whether God can do what he's already done. All right? They get together and go, Lord, we got to vote on whether you can do what you've already done. And so let us vote and we'll see if you get to keep doing that. And so that's what's going on here. Verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem... The circumcision party, and let's just be honest, ain't no party like a circumcision party, right? Hey, ho. It's not really a party you want to go to, okay? It gets weird. So the circumcision party criticizes him. Now listen, here's the thing. Nobody knows they're in the circumcision party. You know that? And let me just ask you, why is there, these are Christian people, okay? These are, these are like the insider people that are in Judea. Remember, apostles and brothers in Judea. And they are criticizing Peter for what? For sharing the gospel with those people. Why is there so much criticism within the church? I'm going to tell you, you type in your favorite preacher's name in Google, and you'll get a couple of his websites, and then all the rest of them will be criticism about that man and what he did wrong or didn't do right, right? I mean, that's what it is. It are... The, the, the nature of the evangelical church is just not just a critical mind, but also a critical heart. And let me just tell you, that's not how we will roll at the Church of 1122. We will not be critical of other pastors and other ministries here in the city or around this country. If you love Jesus and believe in the authority of the Word of God, but you do communion different, then rock on. But we're going to join together for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God, for the transformation of this community, to take the gospel to the ends of the world the ends of the earth, and we're going to be focused on the things we have in common, not the things we differ about. So don't come to me and complain about the church you used to go to, all right? Because I'm not going to join you in criticizing your old pastor, and we're not going to be critical of other pastors and other ministries. We're just going to pray for them like crazy. And so I don't know what the problem is in the church where everybody's critical of one another. Look, having a a critical heart is not of Jesus. We're supposed supposed to put on love. And listen, I, and people will be like, no, but I'm defending the truth. Look, maybe the truth doesn't need you to defend it. That's like, that's like a kitten saying to the lion, I'll defend you. All right, kitty cat? Uh, the truth is a, is a who, not a what. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and he might not need your help. Now listen, I'm the, I'm the lead pastor of the church, all right? I'm the shepherd of this place and a part of what we're supposed to do and the board of elders that we will guard this church for doctrinal purity. And so if somebody tries to make their way into our church and teach things that aren't true, then we will lovingly rebuke them. And then if they won't repent, then we will lovingly give them the right foot of fellowship and uh, send them somewhere else. 
All right? So, so I'm for doctrinal purity, but, but not a critical heart. It's like this. In my home, I have a gun, or I have seven or eight, or I got a lot of guns. And you break into my house, I will shoot you dead. I won't even ask first. Boom, all right? And then I'll pray after. Dear God, I hope they know Jesus because they're with him right now. Amen? <laughs> but I'm not going to stand on the front lawn and go hunting, looking for somebody that looks like they might break in. And so, I'm telling you, from the very first church, there's been people among Christians that are critical, that are critical, and you repent of that critical heart. Yeah, maintain the critical mind, it's good. But you, you repent of that critical heart. And so, uh, Peter responds to their criticism, and he's just going to walk them through the events that just happened in chapter 10. And so, here, here was their criticism. You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. And they're thinking, how dare you? You reached out to those people. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is once Christ died on the cross, there is no more those people. Those people are recipients of the grace of Jesus, period. There are no more those people, whether it's that color or that race or that socioeconomic group or that lifestyle or whatever, that those people are people that God loves so much that he gave his one and his only son to. But what the circumcision party wanted to do is they wanted to create kind of this holy huddle. No, 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 no. Uh, God is just for us. It's kind of us for and no more. And we're comfortable and we like the things uh, the, the way they are for us, and if you reach out to those people, you're going to mess it all up. And they form like this little holy huddle, and God saved the church that tries to become a holy huddle. When you look at a huddle, what do you see? All you see is a bunch of rear ends, right? Do you know what the world sees when the church tries to huddle up? The world sees a bunch of rear ends. And so we as a church must always be outwardly focused, just like Jesus was, to seek and to save the lost. And so Peter's going to explain the gospel to the circumcision party so that they can kind of understand how they got there. Verse 4, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. So he's going to recap everything that just happened in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 5. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. Verse 7, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Let's just read that one again uh, in the name of Jesus to the glory of God. Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. I love that verse. That's one of my favorite verses in the world. To all you PETA people and vegetarians and all that, let me just, the Bible says, rise, Peter, Kill and eat. And James says, be, not, be ye not merely hearers of the word, but go and do what it says. So tomorrow morning, in the name of the Lord, I'm going to try to rise, kill, and eat. All right, verse 8. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered into my mouth. You know that Peter kind of, he's a little gun shy at this point in his life. Because every time he tries to do something, he kind of jacks the whole thing up, doesn't he? You remember? I mean, it's just over and over and over and over. Um, Peter's in the boat one night, and he sees Jesus walking on water, and he says, if it really is you, Lord, call me to come out and walk on the water with you. And Jesus says, come on and walk. And Peter gets out of the boat and does like this Ric Flair, woo, does this walk. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he gets afraid, and he begins to sink. And remember, Jesus says to him, you of little faith, 
Or, uh, I don't know if you remember when, when Peter's at communion, the Lord's Supper with Jesus, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter goes, not me, I would die for you. And then Jesus says to him, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter argues with Jesus, not me, I would never leave you, I would never forsake you, I would never deny you. And then sure enough, he denies, 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 and then cock a doo doo and he's like, dang it. And then after Jesus gets arrested... After Jesus gets arrested, uh, these guys come to arrest Jesus on their way, and Peter pulls out a sword and chops this dude's ear off, off. And then Jesus picks it up and is like, really? And then kind of puts it back up. Very loose translation. But everything Peter does is wrong. When he tries to do right, he just messes it up. So if that feels like your Christian life, then you're going to be a great disciple. So he's a little gun shot. He sees this, you know, he sees this, this big sheet with like a pig on it, and he's like, uh-uh, I would never eat that. Verse 9, but the voice answered a second time, so it's got to tell him again. The voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. To which, you know, Peter's going, oh, praise God, I always wanted to eat bacon. I mean, it just smells so good. How could you not be the God of bacon? You've got to be, because the only way to make bacon better is to wrap it in what? Bacon, amen. Come on, baby. That'll preach. That's in the Bible, sort of, all right? Verse 10, and this happened three times. You wonder why I tell the same thing over and over and over? Because most of us are hard-headed. You're hard-headed people, all right? But you're going to be good disciples. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. In other words, this is he, what he's talking about has, is how his heart has been transformed in the area of racial reconciliation. He thought these men were common and unclean, and then God taught him through a BLT sandwich that you don't call <laughs> unclean what I have made, and goes, well, if it works for bacon, it works for people. And so racial reconciliation happens. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, And he told us how we had seen the angel standing in his house and said, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Verse 15, and as I began to speak. Peter's still a little bit bothered by this too. I don't blame him as a preacher. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. So Peter's saying, hey, y'all can't believe this. I wasn't even at the end of the sermon where I asked everybody if they want to be a Christian or not, and they got saved before we even got to the end of the sermon. How cool is that? God saved them before the sermon was over. I know you wish that would happen too, but we'll see. Verse 16, and I remembered the word of the Lord, which is really important when you're a preacher, all right? It's to remember the word of the Lord. And he says, I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, he's talking about Jesus, how Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is very, very important, okay, especially if you've got like a charismatic background. And what, what Peter is saying here is the events that I experienced are not my Lord, but Jesus is my Lord and my authority is the word of God. And the experiences that I'm having now line up with what God's word said. I didn't realize that the Holy Spirit was going to fall out on the Gentiles, but then when it happened, I remembered what Jesus said, that John baptized with water, but, but that you baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so it's why at the Church of 1122, what we try to do is really regardless of our experience, but we submit to the authority of the Word of God. And then he asked this question. So he lays all that out to the circumcision party. 
And then he says, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, hey, look, I got, you know, good news or bad news circumcision party. I don't know how you want to take it. But Cornelius's house experienced this like Gentile Pentecost. The, the Holy Spirit of God fell on them and dwelled within them. They have surrendered their life to Jesus just like you and I have surrendered our lives to Jesus. And you know, they're going, well, I don't know. And meanwhile, Cornelius is in the back just blah, speaking in tongues, right? And they're going, see? And it's exactly what Jesus said would happen. And then he asked this question. Who was I that I could stand in God's way. I mean, who was I that I could stand in God's way? At this point in Christianity, Christianity isn't even called Christianity. It's called the way. Because in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so anybody that was a disciple of Jesus was just said they were a part of this new thing called the way. And Peter's saying, who am I that I would stand in the way of God? And you know, to stand in the way of God, it's like standing in the way of a freight train. It could be a mess for you, and the freight train doesn't even really notice that much. Now, let me just tell you something that breaks my heart, that, that really causes me to lose sleep, especially now that I am a leader of one of these things called a church, is that the, the movement that God initiated called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, this movement whose primary responsibility is to glorify God by sharing the good news, by making disciples all over this world, that we could actually be the number one perpetrator of keeping people from meeting God. And so I want us as a church to look in the mirror and say, what are we doing? Who am I that I could stand in God's way? It, it leads people like Gandhi to say things like this. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That it's actually oftentimes church people. Church people. That don't help make a way for people to meet Jesus. But actually stand in his way. And the easy thing here would be for me to just pick on a lot of other different kind of churches. And in fact, you'd love it. We'd love it. Look, you laugh and we laugh. We have a good time. And then when we get, get, we get done, we could just all high-five each other in our own self-righteousness. And it would do nothing to grow us as a body and grow us as a church. But I want to lead the kind of church. I want us to be the kind of body of believers that never stands in the way of what God's doing. But we join in what God is doing. And so how do we stand in the way as, as a church or as church people? I'm just going to go through some that I thought of. You could probably think of a hundred more, but here's one. One is um, by not inviting our friends. By not inviting our friends. Like God could be uh, moving in your workplace, in your fraternity, in your sorority, in your classroom, in your home. And he could be working amongst those folks and uh, God, God's doing something incredible in your own life, but you're just keeping it for you and you're not reaching out. And it could be a way that you're standing in the way of God. One of the things that's been interesting in the last month or so is when people find out that I'm the pastor of the church of 1122. And, and they'll say, uh, wow, you're a pastor? In which I go, oh, thank you, Jesus, okay? Because if anybody says, you know, you look like a pastor, then I quit, I'm out. I'm joining the UFC. That's where I'm going, okay? I'm out of this. 
but then they'll go, I, I mean, I hear this over and over and over, which this is good. They'll say, man, I've heard so many great things about your church, to which I follow up with, has anybody invited you? And I hear, no, just hear great things. Listen, folks, um, ideally what I'd love to happen is that you would be the kind of disciple-making disciple that would share the gospel wherever God leads you to share the gospel and that you would lead your friends, coworkers, family members to Christ at school, at work, at home, and then bring the, the, the new believer here and we'd all celebrate that together, right? And, and, and I don't even like the word balance, but on a parallel track, what I would like for you to understand is that this place is for you, that we are the Church of 1122 when we gather on the weekends that we are a partner with you because we want to create a safe place where you can bring your non-believing friend uh, so that they can hear the most dangerous message ever, that God loves them enough to die on a cross to, to save them from their sin. You see, when Jesus called out one of his disciples named Philip, he says, come and follow me. And Philip's like, hold on, can I go get one of my buddies first? And he goes to his buddy Nathaniel, and he's like, Nathaniel, I think we found the Messiah you got to come and check this out. And then Nathaniel's like, I don't know. Where's he from? I heard he's from Nazareth. He's like, yeah, he is. And, and he asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, it'd be like today going, can anything good come from Palatka? Like, I don't know. And so Philip answers. He's like, I don't know. I've never been to Palatka. Never been to, never been to Nazareth. But why don't you come and see? And we want to be that kind of come and see church where you, even if you don't have all the answers for your friends, but you can tell your folks, hey, why don't you come and see what God is doing? And let me tell you this, if you were here and you're a guest, if you're one of our guests today, because someone invited you, you know why they invited you? Because God has done a transforming work in their life and they love you enough to share that with you. And they couldn't exactly tell you that on the golf course. They couldn't be, you know, on the third hole, be like, hey, Ralph, I love you. And God has given me a burning passion in my soul for your heart. Because Ralph's going to be like, thanks, Ted, but we're never playing golf again, all right? I'll see you never, all right? But that's what that invitation, that's what that invitation is about. So we don't want to stand in God's way when he, when he is pursuing someone. And, and, and what he's calling you to do is to reach out to him. Uh, another thing that that churches do, that our church could do, gosh, I hope this isn't us ever, that we could do to stand in God's way, is instead of preaching the gospel, preaching rules, 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 rules. Instead of preaching the gospel, preaching that you need to become a better version of you, that here's five steps to be a better version of you. Here's how to get out of debt, and here's how to cuss less, and here's how to have better friends. Because what begins to happen is, if you create this arbitrary list of rules that good Christians don't do, uh, one, it's not the gospel, and two, it is exhausting. It leads to lifelessness. And, and I'm just going to tell you, you can't do it. I, the rules that I grew up with in my, you know, I grew up in a small town in the South, and the, the thing, the message I heard from church is, God is good, you are bad, try harder, see you next week. And the rules were, we don't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls who do. And I was in Dillon, South Carolina, and that wiped out all the girls, right? And I thought, uh. And you've all tried that. Whatever the list is, whatever it is, we don't see these movies, we don't, whatever the list is. Or you can drink, but just wine with dinner. Or if you're Baptist, you know, you can only drink NyQuil. That's what Baptists love to get sick, right? Well, I'd drink me some NyQuil, baby. Ooh, I think I feel a cold coming now, all right? So, 
But the gospel is, no, you're a wretched, black-hearted sinner, and Christ paid the price for you. Jesus isn't a crutch. He's a stretcher. Surrender it all to him. But when you preach those rules, 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 it's exhausting. And there's no freedom, and it leads to legalism. And the legalistic Christian is the one that's living by the rule instead of the freedom of the grace of Jesus. And the reason you're legalistic is because you hate everybody walking in freedom because you wanted to see Terminator 2 when you were 14, and you couldn't, and you're still bitter about it. And you think God owes you something. God, you owe me the job. You owe me health because I wasn't partying on Friday night. I was at youth group spelling out words like joy with my hands, you know. So you owe me. And the Bible says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery that he's talking about to the church in Galatians is the law. And we are free to walk into freedom. Now, does this mean we're soft on sin? If you think so, you hadn't been here before, all right? Because we hammer down on sin. Is sin a big deal to God? Yeah, it killed his son. Big deal. Big deal. But if you're a Christian, then we'll tell you, we preach holiness here. If you're a Christian, then you were, you were lame and God has called you to walk. So get up off the mat and walk. Take up your mat, fold it up as your testimony and walk. And don't lay back down in that filth. That's dumb. You were dead in your trespasses, and now you've been made alive. So, so don't lay back down in the grave, dummy. Live people don't put on dead man's clothes and lay down, lay down in the grave. So walk around like you're alive. Walk in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. But if you think you're going to impress God by being good, that is not the gospel. And when a church just preaches rules, 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 it leads to this kind of conversation. How many of you have ever talked to somebody about coming to church and they say, well, I would, but I'm not coming to that church because churches are full of hypocrites? Anybody ever heard that one? I'm not going to church because the church is full of hypocrites. You know how I usually respond to that? I go, oh, it's worse than you think. <laughs> oh, it is awful. The church we go to is led by the worst one, all right? I agree. I, I'm, I'm the leader of our church and my whole church is full of liars, liars. They lie about everything. You ask them, how you doing? And they go, great. You ain't great. You and your wife fought the whole, while here, whole way here, you liar. Or, and we go, how many of you are fasting? And everybody raised their hand. You liar. You didn't fast. Drink a smoothie at lunch and you're out. All right, that doesn't count. The liars. The word hypocrite is a Greek word that means stage actor. A stage actor, it means like you act one way on stage and you act a different way. And so often when I'm talking to a friend that says, well, I'm not going to church, it's full of hypocrites, I'll go, yeah, so we're full of hypocrites, full of hypocrites. But except for one thing about our church is that we're all self-proclaimed hypocrites. So as soon as you confess your hypocrisy, I think you're struck from the hypocrisy list because I'm telling you we're all sinners saved by grace. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are sons of the living God. And, and now we are clean and righteous in his sight. Not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done in us. And then, and then I'd say to, to the, the folks with that complaint, but surely you're not saying that you're not a hypocrite. I mean, surely you're not saying that you're not your own worst enemy. Surely you're not saying that you've never broken a promise to you. Surely you're not saying that you're the guy that's kept every New Year's resolution. Surely you, you're not the one that's saying, I'll never do this again, and then actually never, surely you're not saying that. So in fact, 
I think you, if you would come to our church, I think you would find a, a home there, you liar, with all the others. <laughs> I, I really think you would find a home there. And not only that, um, he, the good news of hypocrisy in the church, the good news is this, that I would say to my friend, and he loves us anyway. And he loves us anyway. Yeah, we come to the altar and we make promises and then we don't follow through and he loves us anyway. And he doesn't wipe us out. How, how many of your sins were future sins when Christ died on the cross? All of them. Every single one of them. And when you talk about penal substitutionary atonement, it looks like a deal, doesn't it? God says to you, all right, I'll give you my righteousness and you give me your sin if you trust in Jesus. You want that deal? I'll take that deal. And you sign on the dotted line and he knew the deal he was getting into before he allowed you to sign up and he took the deal anyway. That even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin, that he made us alive. That God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, that Christ died for us. You know what the cure for the hypocrisy in the church is? It's in uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Because when you confess your sin, you're no longer a hypocrite. You're going, yeah, I, I struggle. God, please root this out of me. That, that's why we make a big deal about disciple groups. That's why you need to be in a disciple group. If you just want to fake it for the rest of your life, just don't ever get in, in Christian accountability. Just show up, sit in the back, sing the songs, see you next week, you're doing great, the fake you is just fine. But if you want to get real about this, get into a body of believers where you can actually confess your sin, get prayed for with love and authenticity, and watch the healing begin. So, I don't want this to be a hypocritical church. Martin Luther said that the life of the Christian should be that of daily, daily confession and repentance. Another one that stands in the way of people coming to hear the gospel is what I would call insider traditionalism. Insider traditionalism. That's when the church that starts out on a rescue mission as a life-saving vessel over time becomes a cruise ship just to take care of all the members. And, and I'm telling you, you know, nobody ever thinks that will be their church but if you're not careful, it becomes, man, it becomes easy to just take care of everybody that's here as opposed to being about the mission that Jesus was about, which was to seek and to save the lost. So I, I, I don't want to pick on a, different, a, a particular worship style, okay? But um, it, traditional things in a church are great if you grew up in that tradition, right? So I kind of came up Southern Baptist. And, and, and then I remember the first time my friend invited me to a Catholic church, right? And I thought, this is kooky. But, and it's not kooky, it's great if you grew up Catholic. But if you didn't grow up Catholic, then you don't know what's going on. I mean, you want to talk about feeling like an outsider. They should teach like a little mini class before the service starts, all right? Because I go in, and all I knew was Baptist, okay? That's all I knew. And, uh, and so I go to this Catholic church, and we're sitting there, and, the, and they need like a third base coach to like tell you whether to sit or stand or kneel. Because they did something, everybody just pops up and starts singing a song. And I'm like, oh, no. And I stand up, and I don't know the words, and I, you know, and they're singing this song. And then, boop, everybody sits down, and I'm, I'm like, oh, I missed it, okay? And then uh, it comes around again, and they start to move, and I thought, all right, here we go. And I go up, and they go to kneeling, and I'm the only one standing up in the place. Dang it, all right? 
Then I, then I kneel down. And then they do the pass the peace. You know, I didn't know about the pass the peace at the Baptist church. And they're doing the passing the peace, and they're shaking everybody's hand, going, peace be to you. Ain't nobody giving me peace. I'm just standing around waiting. And then a guy behind me says something, and he says, peace be to you. But I didn't know what he said, so I just went, pretty good. How about you? And he was like, oh, oh, you said it wrong. You are not Catholic, you sinner. All right? <laughs> I didn't know. Nobody told me. And then they line up for communion. And everybody's getting in a line to do communion. And I am freaking out. Because I didn't want to mess up communion. And I remember I was trying to look around to see what was happening. And everybody was drinking out of the same cup. And I thought, I am not drinking out of that cup. I mean, I love Jesus, but I don't want the flu. Right? And see, in my tradition, in Southern Baptist tradition, there's some kooky stuff too. Unless you grew up in it and you don't even think about it. We didn't get in a line. They passed that little fancy tray down with all the little shot glasses. Right? And you would get, you would get that little Jesus, all right? If you grew up, you know, if you did communion this way, you get like a little Jesus, a little stale body of Christ. And when you take it, it would get stuck in the roof of your mouth and you, you know, try to get it out for the rest of the time. And I would be so stressed out on communion Sunday because that fancy thing with the glasses would come by and I just didn't want to drop it, right? And, and, and you would get that thing and go, and then you would get it and be like, whoo. And then I remember thinking, for a bunch of teetotal or Southern Baptists, we got shot glasses. This is, this is great. And then everybody's in there, and we would all do it at the same time. And the preacher would tell you when to go, and you'd kind of whoop, you know? And then sometimes he'd take too long, and you'd forget, and you'd be like, when is he? Oh, dang it, I just spilled Jesus all over me. So you had to wait. And then you'd take your shot of Jesus, and, and it, that's how we did it. But when I was at Catholic Church, and nobody explained it. Nobody told me. And so then I, it's my turn. I get up to the front of the line. And I didn't know the code word. You know, in Catholic, see, Catholics believe in a literal transubstantiation, that that little bread literally becomes the body of Christ. And so if you ain't Catholic, you don't get it, all right? You can't have it if you're a Baptist, you gotta be Catholic. And they ask you a little code word question, but I didn't know the response. Nobody told me. So I'm just standing there and they ask me stuff and I'm going, I don't know. And, and then nobody also told me in Catholic, you can just tap out, all right? You can tap and they'll let you out of the whole deal. I was like, somebody told me how to tap out 30 minutes ago, dude. Right? So then we finally get to the sermon, and I'm going, it was four minutes long, and the dude sung half of it. I was like, now, finally, they got something right. All right, that was great. But when I left, I told my friend, that wasn't even like real church. But what I meant is it just wasn't what I was used to. And that's why some of you Catholics, you went to Saturday Mass last night to go to real church, and now you're here to, you know, learn a little Bible. And on the way home, you'll drive by your Catholic church and give a little, and then you'll be all right. So, he, so here's the thing. Again, church traditions are great if you grew up in that tradition. So the Bible talks about, about really parallel tracks. It, it, it talks about contextualizing the gospel and contending for the truth. And I'm not looking for balance. I don't like balance. Balance is not, it's overrated, except for maybe if you're walking, okay? But I'm looking for both and, that we want to contextualize the gospel in such a way that it makes sense when you come in here, that... that that you don't need a class before you come to 1122 to get what's going on. And no matter where you are on the spectrum of your church experience, whether you were raised in high church or this is your first time you've ever, ever, ever been in a church, that it would at least make sense to you. But we will also contend for the good news of Jesus Christ, that we just tell the truth here. I mean, right, that's why we're walking through the book of Acts for like the next, what, 11 years or so, okay? Just verse by verse, but I feel like my job is to do it in such a way 
that makes sense to you, that we contextualize it. Because you could contend for the truth and say true things, but if you say it in a language nobody can understand, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then also, and this happens a lot these days, that you can over-contextualize. And that the real goal is not to glorify God, but the real goal is to keep everybody comfortable. And that's not going to be the kind of church we're going to be. All right? Uh, in, in fact, there are some pretty famous pastors right now that are very successful and that I really look up to. But they will say things like, we don't even call our singing worship because we don't want to offend people. Well, hey, listen, I, I hate to break it to you, but you're at church and we're going to worship Jesus with everything we're made of. And here's why. Because we really believe it. And we really, really love it. And, and I know the singing part can get weird for you, and it ought to be weird for you. But here's why we do it, because we really believe the things that we're saying and singing. And, and, and if a friend brought you, and you look over at him, and he's got his hands up in the air, and he's crying, and you think, uh-oh, I'm at a cult. You're not at a cult. The dude loves Jesus. He just really loves him with everything he's made of. And it's not just a belief system. But he's really bought into this personal relationship with the Lord. So I praise God more than you know that we have a worship pastor and not a rock star. We have a worship pastor. And every week when we gather, every week when we gather, we seek to glorify God in worship and word. But we want to do it in a way that, that helps you to understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so, the last one, I'll end with this one. Um, one of, the, probably the number one thing that stands in the way as a church, I hope and pray it's not our church, is judgmentalism. Is that people say, well, you know, I just, I would go to church, but I feel so judged. Which is crazy, isn't it? If the church is supposed to be the embodiment of Jesus on earth, and he, man, he reached out to the most judged among anybody in that society. And he reached out with love and grace and mercy and truth. But you ask, you ask people in Jacksonville, hey, what do you think about church? And, and not one person's going, wow, full of grace and mercy. They'll talk, about, they'll talk about how judgmental the church can be. And if we're honest, we earned it. And I don't want this to be that kind of place. I just want to share with you a story. It happened almost 20 years ago. I was about 21 years old. I was in seminary, uh, and I lived in North Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina. It was in the summer, summer break, and nobody ever goes back to Dillon. You just keep going 30 minutes, and you get to Myrtle Beach, right? Kind of the redneck Riviera, and so that's where we would all go. And I had three jobs, all right? I worked three jobs. And the reason I had three jobs is because I was 21 years old, and I was a man, and I didn't want to live with my mama. Jot that down, some of you boys. All right. So, it's a different sermon, I'm sorry. So, I, uh, uh, I waited tables at Barefoot Landing. I was a youth pastor at a church about 30 miles inland, and I also worked the front desk at World Gym. So, every morning, I'd open the gym and work at World Gym, and it was great. And so, the, the owner of World Gym was this great businessman, because right across the street from World Gym was a Crazy Horse strip club. And, and uh, what he did is he went to Crazy Horse, and he told all of the dancers there, hey, girls, you get a free membership to World Gym. So every morning, about 10 o'clock, our place would fill up with the crazy horse dancers. And so there'd be like 10 or 12 girls and about 40 dudes from North Myrtle Beach, all right? Some of you are already getting nervous because I'll just call them strippers. Does that help you? Okay, so the strippers were there working out. And word gets out, you know, hey, guys, you can just work out at this gym. And they're all there. And so um, 
after they would work out, they would come over to the little counter and get like smoothies and stuff. And we began to just kind of chat and hang out. And they didn't know what to do with me. Like I didn't fit in a category for them because, because uh, I was in seminary. So I would always have like the Bible out on the counter because I was doing a summer class. I was working on stuff. And we would, we would enter these dialogues. And what began to happen over the summer, you know, they would say, hey, you should come out of the crazy horse. I go, nah, probably not ever, ever, ever going over there. We'll just talk here. And, uh, but what began to happen over the summer is that those girls became people, my friends. And I found out a lot of stuff about them. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a, a great depth of knowledge in stripper world, but all the ones I knew, they had two names, right? Everybody had two names. And, and about halfway through the summer, they would tell me their real name. I'd be like, oh, so it's not Destiny? It's Betty. Okay. All right. Uh, all of them had two names. Almost every one of them had a kid, a young daughter. And, uh, and they were all petrified that their kids would find out what they were doing. Almost every one of them had to drink something or take something before they got on stage. Almost every one of them, or all of them, every one of them, none of them, this was their plan. None of them said, this is what I wanted to do. They just got into it and that the money was so good. They sort of got addicted to the money that they, they just, you know, they felt trapped. And so as we sit there, we talk about the gospel, and I talk about Jesus, and, and would I call their sin, sin? Yeah, man, I tell them, you're greedy. Look, I have to get three jobs to make in two weeks what you can make in one night. You can step away and, you know, wait tables with me, and we would talk about those things. But above everything else, I just wanted them to meet Jesus, that they were sinners just like I'm a sinner. It was no different. And then towards the end of the summer, one of the girls, her name was Sunny, and she said, um, tell you what, I'll, I'll go to church with you. I remember thinking, uh-oh, are you sure? Um, and I, and I kind of got a little panic, right? Because, again, I wanted, to, I wanted her to meet Jesus. I just didn't necessarily want her to meet my church because uh, I just didn't know how that would go. I'm trying to figure out how to uninvite her. She's like, no, I'll, co- I'll drive. That would be great. I'll drive. What time do we need to leave? I was on staff at that church. I was the youth pastor. And, uh, and I told her what time, and she comes to pick me up in her convertible white Corvette. I thought, perfect, we'll fly right in under the radar in that bad boy. <laughs> and so me and Sonny and her daughter get in the Corvette, and it took us, you know, maybe 10 minutes to go 25 miles in that thing. And so, and so we pull up to the church. Now, Sonny showed up uh, for church in like a sundress and high heels, real high, high heels, like maybe glass ones with a goldfish in it, you know what I mean? Like real high, high heels and a sundress, and it was a nice dress, and it was it was you know, in her mind, church clothes, but she looked like a stripper in a sundress. And, and she had, she'd invested heavily into her career. You tracking with where I'm going there? Okay. All right. Don't come back with me. All right, here we go. And so we pull up to church and, um, and we go, me and Sonny and her daughter, and, and we take her into the little children's wing to drop her kid off in Sunday school. And this was like before you ever had to check in or any of that, right? You could just drop your kid off at strangers and, you know, whatever. You just, so we dropped the kid off there. And, you know, the looks of the, of the First Baptist mamas as we walk in, it's like, who's the youth pastor? God, I mean, it's like that. And then we go into the sanctuary. When you're the youth pastor, you do announcements. That's all they'll let you do. And so... Um, I get up in front of the church to do announcements, and as I'm standing there, and, and Sonny's sitting like on the second or third row, and I can see the, I mean, the stairs are just you know, tangible. 
and the little conversations and the whispers and the, all that's going on. And I just remember standing in front of that church just thinking, oh, no. And I went and I sat next to Sonny and heard a sermon that was probably, I mean, it was, I can't even remember what it was. It's probably out of the Bible and about Jesus loves everybody and in an environment where we did not love Sonny. And after the service was over and the whispers continued, there was a called deacons meeting right after the service. And I got called into the deacons meeting. And I walked into this group of men and they said to me, who is that that you brought to church today? And I began to recount. I said, well, you know, I mean, I work at World Gym and this is happening. And she kind of invited herself and I brought her. And, and they said, um, she's not the kind of person that we want here at this church. And we don't think she'd be a good influence on our daughters. And we protect our people from this world. And you're bringing this world into this church. And I wish I could say that I stood up for the sake of the gospel and said, how dare you? But I did not. I was more concerned about what the deacon body thought about me than I was the gospel that day. And so I just kind of bowed my head and tucked my tail and walked out. And then there's Sonny waiting and everybody had left and she was waiting on me and she's a smart girl she realized that I'd been called into the principal's office and she said they, they had to meet about me didn't they and I got in that car and I lied and lied and lied no no they didn't and you're just being paranoid and on the way home she put the top up and I look at her and just trying to make conversation said so what did you think about church tears rolling down her face she said I've never felt more degraded in my entire life now folks the night before she had been naked on a pole for a dollar and she had to take pills to do it and then the next day she is sitting in the very movement that Jesus proclaimed would be the herald of the good news of Jesus Christ and I would say, rightfully so, she felt more valued at the crazy horse than she did in a local church because of the way she was treated. Because those people. And I was on staff with those people. And when we got back home and, and parted ways, I saw her for about two more weeks before I had to go back to school, and it was awkward, and she wouldn't make eye contact, and she never went back to church. And that has haunted me for the last 20 years. And so I would like to say to you, if you have ever been beaten up or battered or bruised by the church, in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, I am so sorry that the church is not here to beat you up or to bruise you, but Jesus was battered and bruised for you and the church is supposed to be the one that tells you that and shows you that. And so when we started the church of 1122, we decided that the church, this church, is a movement for all people. All kind of people, all lifestyles of people, for broken people, for all colors of people, for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is the church that till my dying day, as long as God puts breath in these lungs that I want to be a part of, and I know you want to be a part of, church people.
And so may we never, may we never stand in the way of what God is doing, but may we always be proclaimers and examples of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious heavenly Father, God, would you call us to repentance when we have ever looked at anybody as those people? God, may we see those people at the foot of the cross. They're just like us. We're all just people, people. God, we're all sinners far from you. God, you died to reach out and reclaim all of us, God, for any that would believe in you. Holy Spirit, would you convict those of us in this room that need to be convicted? Lord, we, we repent of that big brother attitude that's mad when our younger brother comes home and he gets a party. God, may we repent and confess that. And God, Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? Would you supernaturally heal? Because Jesus, you purchase healing by your stripes. Holy Spirit, would you supernaturally heal the broken hearts in this place that were beat up in your name? Jesus, in your name, would you heal hurt and broken hearts? God, if there's any person in this place that has been hurt or beat up or bruised, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, would you call them to healing in this place? And God, may this place always be an emergency room. May it always be a hospital. And God, if it ever shifts into a country club, God, would you shut the doors on this church and scatter your flock to a place where they would be cared for? But God, to the elders and to the staff and to the deacons and to the leadership of this church, God, would you help us be so close to you that we always see people the way you see people as recipients of your grace. God, may we love like you love because you first loved us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this could be a time of healing if you'll let it. So let us respond by coming to the altar. If you've been beat up and battered and bruised, come to the altar and be healed in Jesus' name. If you need to repent of having that church people kind of attitude, then you come and you lay it at the altar and you leave it here to be consumed by the fire of God, never to take hold of your life again. Let us respond.